J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello. I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I'm delighted to be talking with Charles McGrail from Syracuse in New York State in the United States of America. His book, Posing for Rodin, can best be described as a unique collection of short stories which have been enhanced with rhythmic essences. Some people might see them as poems, for there are various classifications of poems and rules that constitute a poem. Some poems are very tightly conservative in their format. Others, like Charles's, are probably less structured, more free verse, and that is perfectly acceptable. That is why I refer to them as short stories with rhythmic essences, because they are pretty much free verse, everyone. Nevertheless, they're fascinating to read, and believe you me, they are. Charles has loved reading and writing for most of his life. He sees himself as a shy, unassuming guy. He spends his free time fumbling with bagpipes, sharpening pencils, spying on wildlife that ventures into his land. He and his wife have a sprinkling of grandchildren, enough, he reckons, to make up a basketball team. (laughs) When he was much younger... He often confused recklessness for courage. As such, he logged over 10,000 miles of hitchhiking around America before finally losing track. He did that on and off for five years, and on one trip he met a hobo who could read train destinations by watching how the train was being assembled for transport. He claimed to be a retired yardman. Based on that, Charles hopped on a freighter in Barstow, California, and rode it to Amarillo in Texas. He intended to take it all the way to Dayton, Ohio, before his stowaway status, everyone, was discovered, and he was well and truly booted off with a size nine boot, everyone. (laughs) Some adventure, I'd say. Maybe he should write a book about it. And I've asked him several times, everybody, he should write a book about his hitchhiking days across America because I think they'd be absolutely fun to read everybody. Anyway, that's not the point of this podcast. The point of this podcast is to have a look at his book, Posing for Rodin. Charles, come Hello, on. John. Me. Hello, John. Thank you for having me on. I hope you've been well. I'm good. How are uh, you? I'm good, except for that, that spot where the size nine still stings from time to time. <laughs> the size nine boot. You were found out. Off you go. That's On right. your way, sunshine. That's exactly right. Absolutely. These free riders on your way. Yeah, no time for that. No. Uh, and you should write this book of your hitchhiking days across America. Oh, we've, we've, I've gathered up a few stories here and there. Haven't found the... Uh, the, the, the central theme yet, so I keep putting it on the, on the shelf to marinate, but I'm definitely taking your advice, and, and we will get back to it. And I want to do the interview. <laughs> that would be great, sir. Thank you. 
Charles, let's have a look at your book, Posing for Rodin. Okay. Why did you call it that in the first place? You know, I'm extremely intrigued because it's unique. Why did you call it Posing for Rodin? Oh, as, uh, as you and I'm sure you're, uh, a good many of your, your audience members know, Auguste Rodin was a, uh, was a French sculptor. And he did a lot of famous works, The Kiss, The Gates of Hell, but probably his most famous was The Thinker. We all know that one where the, the naked fellow is sitting like this with one elbow on, a, on his knee. And uh, when we get to that story in the, in the book, I'll explain um, why it was that that, that particular title was, uh, was attributed to this group of people. And that's where the name for the poem came from. And I just liked it well enough that when the collection was gathered, I thought I should use it for the whole thing. That's interesting. Okay. So let's uh, pick out some poems. Um, Everybody, Charles will read some. I will read others. And what we're going to do here is that once we've read the poems, Charles will explain to the concept, the thinking behind the poem. So, Charles, you're going to read for us now the poem, well, the free verse, the, the short story, however you want to view it, as something worth shopping for. Yes, I will. Thank you, John. Something worth shopping for. No one talks about it now, but he was w- married once before, years ago, to a Turkish girl. He was working over there when he met her. They dated for six weeks, honeymooned for two. And then he was arrested for stabbing her 15 times. His parents said it was self-defense. Why else would he throw her corpse in the dumpster? They sold their house to cover his legal costs, but all to no avail. He got eight years hard time on foreign soil before coming home to a hero's welcome. I managed the apartments his parents live in. They never did get their house back. They don't know that I know all this. They think I'm too young as young as their son's new fiance. But they like me, I'm polite. Last week I got an invitation to the wedding. I'm still undecided what to get them. I was thinking maybe steak knives. That's kind of sick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but that, where did the idea, the concepts, you know, the thought uh, process come from for this little free verse, you know, poem, the short story? It, it, it's my imagination after hearing of a particular incident. I, I worked in a factory 30 some years ago and a guy that I didn't really know, but who also worked at the factory, there were rumors that he had, a, he, he, he was a widower and there were lots of rumors about how that came to be. And one of them of course, was that he had killed his wife and uh, he, he had also done some jail time. I don't know if the two things were related or if they were separate, but uh, in my imagination, I said, what if, what if, what if that was the case? What if he had like killed his wife and, and how would that have played out and where would he be now? And I just let it ramble. And uh, I thought it might be a, thought it might be a good opener for the book just to get a little uh, appreciation of the dark humor that sometimes runs through my head. So is dark humor a part of your life? You know, there's always been that side of things that's brought these oh, I, 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 standards? I, I think, uh, 
I think for anyone my age, there's a certain amount of that. Just I, I grew up with, uh, you know, my my first most vivid memory is is the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And uh, since then, November 1963, Dallas. That is correct, sir. I was very young then, but I remember it. And I remember my parents crying. And although I don't view myself as a uh, as a pessimistic person or a, a, a negative person, I always see that side of various situations. And uh, sometimes that side is kind of the gallows humor kind of um, perception of things is in a odd way somewhat humorous so I, I just try to I just try to keep uh, I don't deny it I guess is what I say <laughs> I think you both you and I were probably around about five at that time I was five <laughs> yes um, yeah there you go I'm going to read posing for Rod in everybody I hope when I die they call me a rebel a rascal a rambler, an outlaw, or worse. Let the truth of my tale be kidnapped and slaughtered then, trampled and scattered, and join me in dust. For what is the worth of a life gone unnoticed, slumped at the bar, post for Rodin? Can we call him a man with no legend to linger? No silver-lined lies? round the grey clouds of life. I spent my existence lying in waiting, poised for the moment, jigger in hand. Sat through the hours in smouldered reflection, scorched as the wings of day to sun. But the waiting was weighted, holding me down to all that I could be. In days yet to come lay, crippled, contracted in comatose song. So sings the souls that sat here beside me, a chorus of silence, cast of the damned. Weren't we once the children, all wide-eyed and cuddly, with dreams of adventure to venture beyond? Weren't we once the pride, the hope of the future, the golden-haired chance to clasp the brass ring. How is it now we've fallen as fodder, struck down in a battle, for battle's begun? How is it now so suddenly over, so seemingly senseless to gasp our last breath? It's pretty powerful, isn't it? I hope when I die, they call me a rebel, a rascal, a rambler, an outlaw, or worse. Don't waste your tears or flowers or candles. Don't ask of your God in long ancient verse. Just bid me farewell. Then forget that you knew me. Walk down the alley and pith where I slept. Never look back. Or the memories haunt you and leave you forlorn as you face the last call. As I said, it's powerful, isn't it? Oh, thank you, sir. So where it's, did this come from? Spill the beans here. <laughs> I used to work at a tavern a long, long time ago, back when I was in my 20s. 
and it was in a uh, it was in an area of, of Dayton, Ohio. They were trying to revitalize. It was um, it, it was a terrible section of the city, and they were putting a lot of money into trying to, to elevate it. And during that transitional period, like the the tavern that I worked at, in the evening there were lots of uh, urban professionals that would come in and spend a lot of money, and people would come in at lunch that worked in the area, but. During that transition period, there were lots of um, leftover homeless people and, and, um, and barflies that hadn't quite got the message that they weren't welcome in that area anymore. They needed to move along. And they would come in and, and just sit at the bar, get a cup of coffee or, a, or a, a can of beer and just sit there for hours. And I don't know exactly where, uh, where the phrase came from, but those of us that worked there referred to all of those gentlemen as, as posing for Rodin, like they were just thinking. They were just sitting there, sitting still, eating up their time, what, what was left of their lives. And uh, I often just wondered, what was going through their heads? If I was one of them, what would I be thinking? What would I, uh, what would I be looking back on? Would I be frustrated with myself? Would I have a bunch of excuses? Was this exactly where I wanted to be in life? Anyways, it came out as that story. Thank you for reading it, sir. Oh, you're so welcome. Let's go to um, somewhere south of should be. All right. Um, somewhere south of should be. Once upon a time we went, and oh, what a time it was, for wenting west of where we were to somewhere south of should be. No map could tell us where to go, for maps can't speak at all. So each man made a pax as one to plan, to plot, to path, to dance, to draw a passage back. A course that ran from there to here that once reflected in a mirror would in reverse traverse reveal somewhere south of should be. First north, then fast, then east, then far. In ink, the route was wrote. In amber hues of blacks and twos, we scribbled and described a youthful place of open space, a land of mine and yours where drinks get drunk and things get thunk and numbers never bind us. Tis mad, says I, I says tis, though between us agreement was rare. We packed our lunch and huffed a bunch and set out towards the sun. On wheel or wing or foot or hoof, it mattered not the means we took, or if we saw or conquered or even made it home again. For marching off as boys alone, we knew we'd die as men. Then all at once disaster struck. It shook us to the bone. Tommy Smithers' mom came out and told him to come home. What kind of a woman ends a war before it's even had? I threw my helmet in disgust, which turned out to be mud. And as I smeared the bigger chunks in hopes to spare my hair, I found out just what kind she was to put the world on hold. I've got fresh baked cookies. Tell your friends. And so it was that faithful day when plans so grand were cast away. And honors great and soldiers' pride were quickly dropped and left outside. Tomorrow be's a better day for marching off to lands unknown, for taking risks and living free, for lining up all duty's deeds, for counting off in twos and threes, somewhere south of should be. Why did you write this poem? Um, two components to this. One, my youngest daughter, who's now about 30, when she was uh, five-ish, she got a, a clown's costume for Halloween, and she fell in love with it. 
and she just refused to not wear not not wear it. it would, she always had it on. We'd have to like wash it while she was at school so that when she came home she could put it back on. And she wore it wherever we wherever she went, wherever we went. And one day we were at the park and she was wearing it and she went over to play with some other kids and she was there about 10 minutes with the other kids and she came back all sad faced and she just looked at me and she goes, I don't want to be a clown anymore. Obviously the kids had made fun of her and made her feel foolish. And I didn't write the poem because of that, but it made me think about youth and the loss of youth. And I thought about my own and how much when we were kids, we would just play army and go on adventures jump on our bikes and be gone by the time the uh, gone until the the sun went down and the streetlights came on. And uh, that I just tried to encapsulate that into a story. That's really what that's all about. Did you have fun writing it? I did. It's uh, it's one of those pieces that uh, sometimes when you write it to get the, the, to get the rhythm right for myself, you have to, uh, you have to walk around or almost dance to do it. And, and I had a great time writing this one because it's, uh, it, it, it was very easy for me to walk and, and, and pace and, and recite it out loud while I was, while I was trying to write it. And no, that's not going to work. And you scratch it out and you try it again. So I had a good, I had a good bit of fun playing with this one. Thank you. So some of these free verse um, short stories, these poems of yours, they're based on things that you've seen and witnessed and happened in your own life, aren't they? Yes, sir. I think uh, I think for the most part, if if we took the time to go through each one, I think that we wouldn't find one that wasn't based on something that had somehow occurred to me or, or been witnessed by me in, in my own life. I see. Now, I'm going to read Beneath the Lighthouse. And I'm going to tell you why, everybody, I'm going to read this one. Because when I looked at Charles's poems, there's 23, 24 of them, it just... I just loved it. So, and, and when we discussed about what poems and what's, you know, free verses, standards, short stories we're going to read, I insisted that I'm going to do this one beneath the lighthouse, didn't I? Yes, you did, sir. Charles was not going to read this one, everyone. I was. So here we go. My father was a shipwrecked seaman and I was shipwrecked son. He never learned to navigate. The knots he tied were none. Mama said he had no power, and this I know as true. The old man drowned before his birth, so captainless he grew. But every tide he went out to sea to see what sailors saw, and after months of being gone, he'd washed up on the shore. We'd brushed the sand, and ring him out, and often wonder why the other sailors came to port, their clothes completely dry. And so it was for years and years, an endless, pointless dream. We'd sit in chairs and watch the sea beneath the lighthouse's beam. Then, one day, it's over. They brought him home in chains and told Mama. He's a lubber now. He won't go out again. He'd dine each day on cold seed broth with nothing more to eat. 
then tried to walk the ocean floor with anchors on his feet. Charts and maps he'd steer at night and feed them to the fish, then swim a course of broken circles round some sunken ships. They left him in a soggy, slump unchained, but not unbound, and there he spent his final days adrift on solid ground. I watched him as he watched the waves and sang in gargled voice, a song of sailors lost at sea, with eyes all glazed and moist. That fall he died of lizard lump, a mar of too much sleep. My sister's married, has a child, and I, the lighthouse, keep. The names of stars, the names of knots, I learn to pass the time. Then gaze each evening out to sea and have a cup of brine. I think it's a very simple, it's a very poignant, and it's a very loving poem. Why? Why did you put this one in? I, I'm I'm very happy that you were so fond of this one, John. Thank you. This is probably one of the ones that's that's closest to my heart. This is my dad. He was a he was a lost seaman. Not not literally. He just uh, that that little bit about him being born after his own father had died is true, and and it left him pretty uh, pretty aimless. And he was a good man, but he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't necessarily a good parent and he was gone a lot and uh, not always for justifiable reasons. And so uh, I learned, I learned to see it in an interesting way and, and, and wrote the story about it for him. And uh, I don't think he ever, I don't think he ever got to see it. And uh, I chose when I chose the ones you said, pick a few. It's one I deliberately left out because it was a little too close to me, but I was very happy that it touched you and I, 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 I that, that thank you thank you very much I I suspected that uh, and when I read it I, I honestly thought to myself a sixth cent he's talking about his father here he's talking about his dad and so that's when I read it I thought I want to read this one and I made it very clear everybody Charles was not going to read it because I loved it and I wanted to read it and now you can see why I read it and not Charles, everyone. Yes, thank you, John. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Charles, let's go to um, give, you know, the listeners a little few more, you know, uh, insights, a couple of your free verse poems, short stories. Okay. You're going to go and read Finding Value at the Mall. Yes, this one's very short. Finding value at the mall. I'm sitting in the food court killing time when a three-year-old walks up to me and announces that he has just burped in his pants. I smile and confess that I sometimes too burp in my pants. And then his mother shows up and offering no pants burping stories of her own, takes him away. Now, if I had made my daughter and her friend take the bus home like I had threatened, I would have missed all that. That's just a, a silly little thing that happened to me while I was waiting for my kids to finish shopping. And uh, is it poem worthy? I don't know. It's just I chuckle to myself every time I think about it. So I put it on paper and thought maybe it would bring a smile to somebody else. I'd never heard of 
that particular activity being referred to as burping in their pants. So I just, I found great humor in that and wanted to capture it for posterity. <laughs> <laughs> we have another word for it over here in the UK. And I'm not going there. <laughs> Thank you for that, John. <laughs> Let's keep this clean, everyone. Um, and I'm going to read the um, the last of the poems that we agreed. And this one is called, everybody, They're Not Opposites. He looked at me and shook his head in frustrated disgust. You're about as smart as you're going to get, he spat. Oh, you might learn a few parlor tricks or a bit of somewhat interesting trivia to recite. But as far as raw intelligence goes, you're done. I hung my head. He watched me stand there, then felt bad for being so honest. Putting a hand on my shoulder, he continued, a little softer. I know. That's disturbing, but there is hope. I peered up at him. Since you're not going to get any smarter, you might want to focus on being a whole lot less stupid. You see, contrary to popular belief, they're not opposites. They coexist. The smartest people in the world do dumb shit all the time. They get lost or burn their fingers. They forget what they were going to say or they misplace things. But they're really, really smart so nobody's too concerned. You, on the other hand, you need to distance yourself from stupid as much as possible. I scratched my head, uncertain. Now that may sound tough, but it's really not all that hard. It's called paying attention. Now go on, get out there and give it a try. Well, that's um, to the point, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's, uh, so what's that one about? Where did the I, concept of that one come from? That was... I. I, I wrote it in the first person because the, the, the telling of the story seemed to, to lend itself better that way, to be as if it was an experience I had. But in truth, that's my interpretation of a, uh, of a situation I witnessed between one of my friends and, and his, uh, his parent. This um, young fellow worked real hard. Both his parents went off to college. They did very well for themselves. And they wanted their son to do the same. And this fella just, it wasn't going to happen. And it used to really frustrate his parents because they didn't understand it. Academics came very easy to them. And at one point, the father had given up on being angry and was just trying to reason with his son, like, you, you may not be everything that, that we want you to be, but you can be better than you are. And he, he tried to explain to him some of the things that he needed to do. And in the course of doing that, he just offhandedly said that, that being smart and being stupid are not opposites. Like you can be both. 
And he, he was trying to like motivate his son to think about, you know, focusing on the smart components of his existence. And that just amazed me that I, I'd never thought of that that way before. So I had to go get a piece of paper and a pencil and go play with it for a little while. And that was the outcome. That's where he gets the sharpening pencils from everyone. <laughs> so everyone, there are quite a few of these short essays, free verses in his in Charles's uh, book. Um, but what I want to know, Charles, is what's next for you? You know, both in terms of your life and your writing. Any books in the pipeline apart from the hint I've given you about writing about your hitchhiking days across America. I will get this out of him, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for plugging that, John. <laughs> oh, I'll plug it away. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, a couple of things. I'm uh, on, on a personal level, I'm only maybe two years away from retiring. So we're, we're transitioning out of the work every day for someone else and, and, and hoping to uh, be in a position where I can spend my time doing some serious writing here in the next year and a half or so. Um, as far as the writing itself currently, if your listeners have any interest, they're certainly invited. I have a, uh, I have a website, Fintan and Turtle, which they're certainly welcome to go to. And in uh, one of the pages is in blog style. There is a book that I'm, I'm publishing the first draft of, or I'm releasing the first draft of an episode at a time. So it's, it's not what the final book will be. It's just the, the, the first draft um, sketches. But um, hold, I have a dry throat here. Hold on one second. It's, it's called The Peregrine Room. It's about a gentleman who, uh, maybe in his 40s, um, inherits a bar from his deceased father. But it turns out that the, uh, there's, he inherits more than just what he realized, the, the, the the bar is actually haunted by his father's ghost. Nothing, nothing horrific, nothing scary or murderous or anything, but the, the two of them have a rather cantankerous relationship until one day a human tooth arrives in the mail. And so really? they, they, find a, they find a common bond and, uh, and, and the story starts to unfold. We're, uh, we're only maybe 12 episodes into it, so it's just where people are starting to get to know the characters and, and hopefully the story will uh, pick up a little speed. It's the Peregrine Room at the Fintan and Turtle website. It's all free. Anyone is welcome to look at it, read it, make comments, and uh, maybe help shape it. You Why Fintan and Turtle? Yep. I'm sorry? Why Fintan and Turtle? They named to your website. Are they oh, it's... Dogs, uh, it, no, no, no. It's, um, it explains it on the site. But um, um, Fintan was um, one, of the, uh, one of the survivors from the... Uh, from Noah's Ark, that um, some some mythology will tell you that that was the uh, the, the first person in Ireland, and I, I have an Irish background, so I, I kind of thought was fond of that. And my wife is um, both native and Dutch, and she's a Mohawk on her native side, and her her clan are the Turtles. So when we talk about Fintan and Turtle, we're really talking about her and me and a. Uh, kind of abstract Ooh, there you go everyone i thought i had to get that one out of him um charles who do you see as your market for your books and more importantly who would you like to see reading your books you know young not so young men women who oh i think um 
I, I would hope that from like say college age up would would uh, appreciate you know some of the humor, the the dark humor, the the dry humor. Um, people that are um, closer to my age might appreciate some of the references where where younger people might be scratching their heads. But um, the, yeah, somewhere somewhere between you know thirty and eighty. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good age, guy. Yeah, rather wide range. <laughs> um, where can people get your book from, Charles? I mean, uh, and what format? I, I know at the moment it's out in Kindle, but what are the plans for to come out in paper book? Where can they get them from? Yeah, they, um, I'm, I'm working right now. We're going to have to change the cover. There's, there's some issues with the cover, so it's holding up the, uh, the, the paperback version. But... You can get you can get it at the website, the Fintan and Turtle website. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. Again, you are correct, John. Only in the only electronically right now, but hopefully by the holidays, in all of those same places, you'll be able to get a paperback version as well. So if you uh, read it and decide you like it, it might make a good gift for somebody. There you go, everyone. Charles McGray, thank you very much for giving me the greatest pleasure of reviewing your book. And for me, the poem Beneath the Lighthouse was the one that I loved the most. Well, thank you very much, sir. I I appreciate you picking it and especially reading it. And you weren't going to read it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm JT Crowley, everyone. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you are in the world. So until next time, stay safe.